This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 5th to the 11th of June. I'm Ezzy Pearson, the magazine's features editor, and I'm joined on the podcast today by Reviews editor Paul Manny. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ezzy. Are you looking forward to seeing what's in the sky then? I am. What are your recommendations for the coming week, Paul? Please do tell us. Well, I'm going to be kind to everybody. Let's start in the evening sky, shall we? Although, to be fair, it's getting later and later, isn't it? Now we're heading towards the summer, you know, the, the light nights. It means that you'd have to wait until at least 10, 10.30 before it even starts to get dark and you've still got quite mm. bright twilight at that point. So it's just the way how it works, doesn't it? But let's start in the evening sky. And you can't have failed. And we, we've mentioned this time and time again, but we've actually got venus and mars in the evening sky and the beauty is sort of thing is like a a bit of a dance with mars and venus venus will not catch up with mars mars will always stay slightly ahead of it so uh, you know but it's fascinating to watch the gap narrowing between them and so on the 11th we're looking at venus and mars and they're actually either side of the beehive cluster on the 9th. So although they're visible all week, it's well worth looking at them sort of thing as they get closer and closer to the beehive. Now, Mars passed through the beehive view of the week. So hopefully people got photographs of that, but it'll soon be the turn of Venus itself. So uh, it's quite fascinating, but you've got to bear in mind, we've got the twilight, so the beehive cluster won't be as easy to see in the bright twilight sort of thing. So on the 9th in bright twilight, around about 10.30 in the evening, and they'll be either side of the beehive cluster itself. Now we have to switch to the morning sky. I know, I know, because... A lot of our events involve the moon, and so the moon is in the morning sky. And from on the ninth, morning of the ninth, the moon is to the far right of Saturn. 
It's actually just in Capricornus, but literally on the bound. I mean, we can't see the boundaries in the sky, can we, Ezzy? <laughs> it would, it would <laughs> no, be handy, wouldn't it? <laughs> all the boundaries and the patterns in the sky. <laughs> it would make uh, navigating a lot easier if you could see the lines. Yes, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mind you, with virtual reality, we're getting to that point anyway, aren't we? So on the 9th, the moon is to the right of Saturn. On the 10th, though, it's to the lower left. It's almost underneath it in actual fact. And that's over in the uh, sort of the southeast. So you know, they're well up. Saturn is well up now to actually observe. If you like, I'd say you, you probably get up in the middle of the night sort of thing. Well worth having a look at. This is about 3.30 a.m. So the sky is already beginning to get brighter. As I say, so we're, we're almost getting perpetual light skies all through the night. So on the 9th, 10th, the moon passes under Saturn. It's closest on the 10th. And it'll actually be at last quarter phase, so it looked like a half moon. But the other half this time, instead of what we see in the evening sky. Then on the 11th, it lies to the lower right of Neptune. But you've got to bear in mind, Neptune, around about eight and a half magnitude, it's faint. You've got twilight as well. So binoculars or telescope really are required for the actual planet itself. It's just one of those things. Now, if you keep an eye out, you might be lucky enough if you keep watching. And of course, you've always got to be careful that you don't catch the sunrise. But to their far left, over in the east, Jupiter is beginning to emerge. Now, being a bright planet, you're lucky because like Venus and Jupiter are the two that you see the first in a bright twilight sky. They don't have to be dark sort of thing to actually see them. So they stand out really well. So Jupiter is emerging to see if you can see Jupiter. And you have to bear in mind, at the time of recording, we're still waiting for noctilucent clouds. They're supposed <laughs> to have started. You know. Now, I haven't got a brilliant northern horizon, I have to say, but I find if I go out into the street, I can look up towards the northeast and so northwest, and I can actually see whether they're there. And um, I've been popping out, and I think the neighbours must think I'm crackers. Because <laughs> I'm always popping out, standing in the middle of the street, looking towards the north sort of thing, and then, then shaking my head and walking back in. But they should be starting. And unfortunately, the NASA satellite that usually monitors this thing is, is faulty. So they're not at the moment getting the images. And often they would give us a bit of a clue as to whether they started or not. So it's a little bit frustrating. But then it just reminds me of the time, well, we didn't have a satellite in the past sort of thing. We, we waited until literally we saw them in the sky. But I hope they soon start. <laughs> It's recently it sort of occurred to me that um, I have one relatively clear view out of my back garden that sort of gets through the, the rows of houses and trees and, and various things. And that is pointing towards the northeast. So um, this year I'm going to be on the lookout for noctilucent clouds. Uh, I, I really want to see one this year. So hopefully there'll be some overhead. <laughs> they're, they're quite ephemeral and, and quite amazing, to be honest. I mean, the, I, I put them on the par of a, a good aurora display because if you get a good noctilucent clouds, they're just so ephemeral and the wispy and silvery blue as well. And of course, in the northeast, you have to bear in mind, you have to be up for that one because that's in the morning sky. They generally form in the northwest in the evening and gradually drift round um, they, you know, until they drift into the sort of north and then to the northeast for the morning before the sun actually rises. So fingers crossed, you know, we keep looking out for them and, uh, you know, never know, you might actually get them. Now, it's a funny old week because apart from the moon passing the planets, um, that's the major events. But 
we do now, we're losing the spring sky. So what I call galaxy season, we're losing that. And the light nights aren't very favorable for galaxy hunting, especially based on galaxies. It <laughs> makes, makes them pretty hard to see anyway. So, but now we're getting into the summer sky. And so we're only a couple of weeks away, really, from the summer solstice. And although we've got light skies, the summer Milky Way is now coming into view. And I always think it's, there's two things to this. You've got A, the Milky Way, so you can view up it with binoculars and pick out the uh, open clusters, the the star clouds and the gaps, which is the actual dark clouds uh, obscuring the stars behind, and also globular clusters. And I find globular clusters, because they're concentrated, they tend to be, you know, so a little bit more visible than, say, galaxies. So the bright globulars do stand out as fuzzy blobs in the sky when you're looking. So this is the time now we can start watching out for globular clusters and the Milky Way as well. So hopefully, you know, with the moon in the morning sky, you might catch the evening sky. So just before midnight and uh, you get the Milky Way rising over in sort of like the east to southeast. Cygnus is over in the east and Sagittarius is over in the southeast now. And of course, that's where the center of the galaxy appears to lie from our point of view. But uh, there we are. So um, a reasonably busy week, but I say nothing it's very specific, but I, I do like the idea of Mars and Venus either side of the beehive cluster. So I want to try and get a wide field photograph of that. I do think that is that Mars and Venus have been particularly photogenic over the last couple of months. So I, I hope we get to see lots of those pictures. And of course, as always, you can send those in to us at www.skyatnightmagazine. Uh, go to the astrophotography section and we always love to see all of your pictures and the best ones end up in the magazine. And uh, one thing that we, we haven't mentioned, because it only actually happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is the supernova that happened in M101, which we have found out about after we'd recorded our last podcast, but is supposed to be visible, uh, at least through a, a telescope of reasonable size, I believe, for the next couple of months. Um, I think sort of probably about six inch up telescope is what you really need to be able to get to to grips with this um, in the Pinwheel Galaxy, or M101. Uh, have you managed to, to get a look at it, Paul? Yes, I actually managed to photograph it finally. I mean, it's one of those things that uh, photographically you can use a relatively modest telescope and pick it up because it was so bright. It reached around about just over magnitude 11, which I know naked eye is magnitude sort of like six to seven. But, uh, you know, binoculars can push you, large binoculars in particular, can push you down to magnitude 11. So technically the star outshone the galaxy. Uh, sort of the amount of energy is just phenomenal. But, uh, you know, but uh, visually, you definitely need a larger telescope, a larger light bucket to be able to spot it easily as such. But photographically, it stands out extremely well along one of the spiral arms. So it's quite something. So, uh, yeah, at least I bagged it. But I, I'd been waiting for those clear nights and we had a lot of sort of sea fret and high haze but uh, I did get it through the slight haze, actually. I, I thought, I'm going to do this. <laughs> so, so I got the big telescope out and got it on it, and I managed to pick up the supernova. 2023 uh, 20, IXF. I mean... <laughs> SN2023IXF, that is correct. I've had to write it about 17,000 times. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're, I mean, asteroids are bad enough when they're discovering them, you know, and comets sort of thing, but uh, supernovae are in a class of their own when it comes to giving them a name. <laughs> yeah. One of the, the other good things about it was obviously it's, it's in the Pinwheel Galaxy, which uh, is one of the more photographed galaxies out there. It's definitely a photogenic one, which was really helpful, actually, because it turned out that a lot of people had been photographing it 
in the run-up to it sort of finally actually being discovered um, and people went back through their pictures and sort of realised that they'd had it a couple of days beforehand, which has been a great boon to, to scientists trying to study the thing. So that's always that's great. That's half the battle, isn't it? Because, you know, usually we catch these things after they've peaked, you know, so uh, it's one of those things that uh, you hope that you pick it up just before. Unfortunately, it was discovered on the rise. So we were very lucky like that. So, uh, but, you know, at least I got it when it had just peaked, something. Sort of so at least I managed to see it. But it takes a long phase. It'll fade away um, over, as you say, the next few months. So, you know, it is a slow decline. So we should have it for a few weeks, but obviously the moon will be coming up. But at magnitude 11, fun enough, the moon may swamp out the pinwheel galaxy, but ironically, the, the star itself, the supernova, might actually still be visible, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, which, which would be quite ironic. I mean, it does look funny because it is quite prominent. You know, the galaxies are face-on, and face-on galaxies do tend to be a lot harder to see because if they're edge-on, a lot of the light is concentrated towards the bulge, so it does appear intrinsically brighter. But face-on is a bit of a nightmare. So it is a case of, in the moonlight, the galaxy may fade away into the background, but the star, the supernova, should still be there. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Paul, for taking us through next week's Stargazing Highlights. So to summarise those again, on the 9th of June, we're looking forward to Venus and Mars will be straddling the Beehive Cluster, but the pair will be visible throughout the week. Then on the 9th and the 10th, the Moon is going to pass under Saturn. On the 11th, Neptune should be well-placed to view, though you will need binoculars or a telescope to be able to see that one. Throughout the week, keep an eye on the eastern horizon to watch as Jupiter emerges back into the night sky. Keep an eye out for NLCs in the evening horizon and also maybe keep a lookout on the pinwheel galaxy M101 to see if you can see that supernova. And of course, it's a great time to see the summer constellations as they begin to return to the night sky, as well as the Milky Way and globular clusters, which will be well placed to view from midnight onwards. So good luck stargazing and hopefully we'll see you all here next week. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for throughout the whole month. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes or neither, our sky guide has got you covered, with detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. Spotify.